Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Thank you for listening. Today is Saturday, February 25th, 2012. Praise Yahweh, God of Israel. Tonight, I have something a, a little different. I'm going to have Pastor Mark Downey here from Kinsman Redeemer Ministries. I met Mark, well, well not face-to-face, but I met Mark three years ago on Stormfront, and we've had a quite cordial, uh, I would say, relationship ever since, even though we, we um, it, it may be perceived by the general, uh, I should say, two-seed line Christian identity community that, that Mark and I should probably be at each other's throats. We've never been at each other's throats. Um, we, we've always gotten along well because we've always been on the same page with the most important aspects of Christian identity, and, and they are the divinity of Jesus Christ and the racial issues of the Scripture and, and race in the Bible and how, um, how we should treat it in, in reality, in life, how we should treat the racial issue today. And Mark and I have always been on all the same pages with those issues and everything else it is, um, can, can be discussed. But the race issue and the divinity of Christ, those things all Christian identists should be on the same page about. So, so Mark and I have also always gotten along fairly well. We've been working more closely together recently, and, and Mark has been um, the assistant pastor at the Fellowship of God's Covenant People for several years now. He's been involved in Christian identity for, what? Well, well, probably about 26 years, I believe. He could correct me if I'm wrong. 36. And, and, um, 36 years. Okay, I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I can't add. Well, well, welcome to Christogenia, Mark. Hello. Hello, and um, hello to the folks in the chat room. Well, well you had written these... Um, well, the, t- the topic we chose to discuss tonight is universalism, and, and you had written these papers. Um, that there are three papers on your site, Universalism on Trial, Parts 1, 2, and 3, and I read them today, and I would recommend them to anybody who, who wants to give a, um, a treatise on universalism to any entry-level CI people. I, I would recommend these papers because they basically cover all the bases in, in a in an understandable way, and and there's a fourth paper on false brethren that we may also want to speak a little about tonight. Do you want to summarize your papers or or tell us the gist of your approach to um to teaching the the, the pitfalls of universalism to prospective Christian identity adherents or, or newcomers? Yeah, I can give a short synopsis uh, as to some of my motives behind writing it. Um, in fact, prior to Universalism on Trial, I wrote a four-part series on Baal worship in Judeo-Churchianity, which uh, also uh, was kind of a, uh, a connection that led into um, Universalism on Trial. And uh, so, yeah, I'll give a, a little bit of a synopsis here. Um, just the word universal um, usually means of or or belonging to all. And 
it's that little word all that has caused a lot of um, confusion and um, problems. But uh, I'd like to give not so much uh, etymology of, of the word universal, but just kind of an interesting uh, dissection uh, of that word. We know that uni means one or, or single, and that verse is, is how a chapter in the Bible is divided. And we have a lot of one-verse Judeo-Christians out there that uh, use for their sound bite, you can guess it, John 3.16, <laughs> and uh, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And here comes the key word, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, uh, if you've heard of this uh, uh, football player, Tim Tebow, uh, he's becoming the darling of the media um, with his playing uh, with beast of, of the field on the football field. And um, he is known for that uh, smudge stuff they put under their eyes to reduce glare. He puts John 316. And every time he makes a touchdown, uh, he goes into this uh, kneeling position with his head bowed down. And I guess there's been a lot of uh, copycats so that the, the YouTube has gone uh, uh, crazy with uh, what they call people T-bowing. And uh, just last week I, I heard him being interviewed about this uh, Chinaman uh, in the NBA that, that made some kind of super basket or something and now is uh, uh, all over the media. And uh, he I don't know if this Chinaman's a, uh, an alleged Christian or, or whatever, but he called him his brother. And uh, therein, I think, lies the seeds of uh, universalism. And um, I think it could be said that, that universalism only deals with uh, a spiritual micro world and a, a macro world. And, um, you know, the uh, the spiritual micro is is John 3:16 and it very seldom goes beyond that and and the macro uh is most judeo christians that that want to uh go to heaven out there in the the stars and constellations well universalism leaves everything out uh in between uh those two things and this is how usurpers make the Bible say whatever they want and to control the herd with limited knowledge. And um, what they want to say is that every creature is part of God's plan of salvation. And um, really the debate is between whether you believe the Bible is talking about uh, an exclusive people or... Uh, inclusive, including uh, everybody. Well, um, I thought I made a good uh, brief uh, in the very beginning of part one of Universalism on Trial, in which I said the word Catholic means universal. And the word Catholic, however, is not synonymous with Christian. And the word Christian should never be associated with universalism 
except in terms of finding it guilty of spreading universal confusion. Well, and well, Babel, the, Babel means confusion, and the universal Catholic Church is rooted in Babylon. Well, one of the shames is the shame is that the um, the word Catholic didn't originally mean universal, but we could discuss that later. Uh, that's the putative or commonly accepted uh, term. Oh, oh yes, it is. You're definitely right. It is. It has been since about the 6th century and, and possibly before that in some schools of thought. But but it's not the original meaning of the word. They perverted that. They perverted yeah. that word. In fact, I think I, mentioned, I heard you mention that uh, just recently. But I think universalism is the most dangerous thing to... Christian identity because it can easily distort hundreds of passages to imply uh, the racial integration of Christianity. And, um, you know, I, I have been around Christian identity since 1976, and uh, Christian identity was free of universalism, uh, to my recollection, until the uh, early 1990s. Uh, when all of a sudden this idea of reconciliation of all things, there's that word all again, uh, became inclusionary. And, um, and of course, the, the misuse of not only the word all, but every and whosoever opened the door for these inclusionists. And I might add that um, Arnold Kennedy did an excellent article on these very words. And um, uh, I think it did a good job of rightly dividing the word of truth there. There's two reasons why I'm addressing this issue. One is from within our own Christian identity movement. Um, the controversy that's developed uh, within the dual seed line camp, uh, as Mr. Emmeheiser said, this is war. <laughs> and... Uh, I think that was uh, misinterpreted uh, by others as uh, some sort of saber-rattling. Uh, but I think he he identified a form of universalism that, that went on the offensive to include non-whites. And, and so uh, I think the universalist or uh, a universalist concept is what started uh, a conflict. Uh, I've said before, I don't start fights, but I'll fight for what I think is right. And universalism is wrong. And uh, to suggest otherwise, I believe, is fighting words to the integrity of our movement. And we just can't allow anybody to represent Christian identity who espouses universalism. And that's why I wrote the follow-up to universalism on trial uh, about false brethren. Now, the second reason for tackling universalism is from without Christian identity, the, the Judeo-Christian church world. And uh, in northern Kentucky, we have a multi-million dollar organization called Answers in Genesis. And it's a race-mixing philosophy, and its impact is felt worldwide. And they have their own $30 million creation museum that's uh, full of universalist propaganda. And they're currently working on a Noah's Ark theme park for
for an astounding $170 million. And you know, Bill, there's no one in our area fighting this monster other than our little humble church, the Fellowship of God's Covenant People. <laughs> well, well, right, and that's because it, it would have seemed to me that the local <laughs> Chamber of Commerce and, and the local county fathers, if you'll have it, were, were, you know, a lot of these small towns and small counties, they seek attractions to bring tourist dollars into their communities. And, and it sounds to me like they've actually sold out their community and, and their, their principles in order to accept this universalist theme park and this giant Noah's Ark, which is absolutely sickening, to, to um, this, this, this um, answers in Genesis. It, it seems like they, they welcome that because of the commerce that it, they hope it brings and, and the, the, the boom in tourist dollars that it brings to all the local businesses. And, and that's, it's unfortunate, but I would imagine that nobody is fighting it. I would imagine they're all welcoming it, I'm sure. But maybe we should um, plan a picket of it when, when I come down to see it this year. <laughs> that sounds good. But the, uh, the the population of this particular area is, is disproportionately, um, uh, you're right, it is a uh, uh, almost an industry where it uh, employs uh, quite a few people. But uh, what's interesting is that our senior pastor, Don Elmore, he gave a sermon a while back called Answers to Answers in Genesis. And this thing has gone viral. Uh, we have over 5,000 hits on that. We feel somewhat like a, a David that's up against a Goliath, you know. But um, uh, there's, there's more than my just wanting to uh, have a cute title, uh, you know, saying universalism on trail, on trial. Uh, I meant for it to be a petition to a court of divine justice. And it's really a cry from God's people to judge these adversaries of heaven and the enemies of our race. And um, interestingly enough, Pastor Everett Ramsey, several years ago, had a, a group of Christian identity men who called themselves the divine court of justice. And they would travel around the country when they heard about a travesty of justice where one of our people or, or somebody that was um, being unfairly persecuted, um, they would go to the, the steps of that courthouse and pray in precatories, and they got results. I mean, there were actually uh, judges who suffered heart attacks there was one sheriff that got bucked off his horse and several other examples where they were being very effective. It worked. And so, um, you know, I, I think the, the passage is true that uh, the, the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. It doesn't do us much good just to read it and not apply it in our lives. And... Um, you know, there's a lot of secular white nationalists that talk about white power, but what they don't understand is that all power in heaven and earth is given to our Christ. But the um, 
the thing about it is this uh, this kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force so let's not forget that integration in this country was enforced at the end of a bayonet in the schools in the deep south and <clears throat> the churches were silent at that time because by that time they were compromised with the poison of universalism the crying under the lord is not crocodile tears but getting our heads screwed on straight and having the right mentality that reflects the perfect will of God to be a separate people. And um, we're demanding God's judgment today, now. And that is why universal, universalism really is on trial here. We're suffering an epidemic of race mixing. You, you see it everywhere in the media. You see it um uh, uh in the grocery stores in the malls everywhere you go you see it and um it it's it's death it's death to our race whereas christianity is life and i'm happy to report uh, uh pastor elmore uh brought a newspaper article in uh recently and and said that there's signs that uh answers in Genesis is suffering financial difficulties. <laughs> they, they couldn't make a payment. And so I'm coming on the show tonight hoping that others will join us in prayers to bring down answers in Genesis and the whole concept of universalism that is destroying our people. It sounds like a mystery Babylon theme park anyway. Yeah. It's a a blasphemy, right? It's a theme park based on blasphemy. It it can't. But we would pray that it doesn't succeed. It has to fail. We we would, would, um, that should be every Christian's hope. um, You you had mentioned in your paper, I think this is from um, Universalism on Trial Part 3, that forced integration is a man-made decree that, rots the core of any society and will always fail and and what these universalists who who have um crept into Christian identity now don't understand is that they're they're insisting that we accept the man-made decree of forced integration as part of our theology and and that is that that's evil that now um one of the um approaches that they have to universal and and the universalism in in a lot of ways it's very veiled and some of the things that they that they say um might sound good they appeal to Genesis 1:26 where Adam was to rule over all the beasts and, and I'm going to quote a universalist passage from a certain um Christian identity pastor who who claims to be Christian identity and he says that the valid missionary activity is teaching the laws of God and bringing the other peoples into subjection. And as far as I'm concerned, the only valid missionary activity is to our people, the Israelite, Anglo-Saxon, Celtic people of the world. In um, Psalm 147, the psalmist said, He shows his word unto Jacob, his statutes and judgments unto Israel, he is not dealt so with any nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye Yahweh. 
I would think that if Genesis one twenty six and 27, where Adam is told to subdue all the creatures of the earth and rule over them, if that had anything to do with the, the other races receiving the law, that it would be mentioned somewhere else in the Bible, and where we find mess, you know, comments concerning the law elsewhere in the Bible, it's only for the children of Israel. It, it's not for the other races. We're told explicitly that it's only for the children of Israel. And, and we could barely uphold it ourselves, but, but I, I would like your, your input on that. Well, you're right. It's, it's little subtleties of, of uh, words to change the meaning or import of uh, what God's intending to convey to his people. And um, uh, one can be very double-minded if they think they're Christian identity and they can combine universalism with um, the strict interpretation that identity takes, that it's exclusive, not inclusive. And you can't have both. No, you absolutely can't have both. It, it's, um, it, it's, it's, in, it, it's an incredible sleight of hand. I like to call it a Canaanite bait and switch, that, that you could start out with, with imagining these other <coughs> as beasts and squeezing them into scripture that way. And, and in the end of the Bible, you insist that they are nations who are going to be judged by God based on their behavior. That, that's a bait and switch to me. That's, that, that's you go into the Jewish huckster's appliance store expecting to buy a 28-inch color TV for $300, and you walk out with a 16-inch black and white TV for 450 that, that's a bait and switch because you're, you're hoping you're, you have your hopes on getting a television and, and see this real good deal and you end up with a real bad deal. And, and that's basically what to me that, that, that theology is. It's no different than, than the old, the, the well, old um, you know, appliance hucksters and, and merchants who are basically constantly tempting the people with good deals and, and screwing them in the end. If you want to be even more cynical, <laughs> uh, you could say it's a shell game. Now you see it, now you don't. And I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but <clears throat> uh, when there's a pattern of trying to bring something into the fold, uh, which I have observed uh, since this controversy began, it, it really makes you wonder if um, uh, this is not some kind of psyop or per, uh, psychological operation. I, when I was in Vietnam, I was in a psyop unit, and it was basically the idea of winning hearts and minds. And it, I was only 19 at the time. I was just a kid. I didn't understand uh, uh, the mechanics of uh, uh, psychological warfare. But I did gain an interest in it later on in learning how that's a very effective weapon of warfare. And, and that's what I mentioned earlier, that, that when something like this is introduced, um, this is war. And, and Mr. Amheiser was correct in, in observing that and identifying it. Um, because it, it can only go one direction, 
And once it has its, once universalism has its foot in the door, uh, it's called gradualism. It's it's the proverbial uh, boiling the frog slowly in the saucepan until it's too hot that he can't jump out. (laughs) And I think anybody that's been in identity long enough knows that um, we are very dangerous to the, the Jewish powers in uh, in the world because we have the truth. And, and they have one of the most monumental lies uh, that's been perpetrated in the history of mankind. And that's that they are God's chosen people. And... Um, Boy, if we could turn that around, um, uh, I think the the scripture where one will chase a hundred and ten will chase a thousand <laughs> just might come to pass, and uh, we'll get them on the run. And, and that's uh, the way it should be. That that's the Christian hope. It, it's such a monumental lie, and um, I um, I I started part three of Universalism on trial. I asked the question, have you ever wondered what the world would be like if there weren't any lies? A world where truth is the only way. Bearing false witness would no longer be a means to an end. Because from the time a child is able to walk, the programming and processing has begun, whereby they are lied to and it continues throughout their lives in schools, churches, government, and media. There's only a few that that escape that matrix of deceptions and uh, come to the saving grace and knowledge of the truth uh, that our movement has to offer. I tried to make it a point in my Hosea presentations that that programming is engineered so that Satan could stay in power. So so that the people who have, have gained that the oligarchical, oligarchical control over us and, and over our economies, our financial systems, the dollars, the money we spend, the, the, the money they allow us to spend anyway, that they, they've stolen our, our life's bread and, and um, our natural, nat- natural and national resources, and, and they've engineered those false doctrines so that they could stay in power. Clear to me that that's one of the warnings of the prophets. The um, you, you wrote that you can thank universalism for all the corruption and abominations that despoil our nation. That that seems to be absolutely true. It, it's um, we're told in in the book of Joel that the canker worm and and the palmer worm and the caterpillar that as a result of our sin would would swarm into our nations and and um, and devour our goods. And, and our even our children, and that's exactly what they're doing. Well, that's exactly what uh, the illegal alien problem has generated. Uh, not only draining our economy of, uh, you know, as soon as they get here, they, they get food stamps and welfare and, and free college and medical, but also a, a crime wave, an unprecedented crime wave um, that uh, I think, uh, the statistics are, are probably somewhat uh, uh, hidden from the American public. Oh, absolutely. And, and these um, 
Well, well, these neo-universalists in Christian identity would have us accept these people as, and, and have them be judged by God based on their behavior, as they, they've said explicitly. And, and that, to me, is, is an abomination. I'm of two. I'm of mind. I think there are two important things that that we have to realize, and and the first is that um, any any um thought that the non-white, non-Israel, non-Adamic peoples are going to have a place in the kingdom of heaven opens the door to our accepting those people. And, and when you teach that bastards are going to be judged by God based on their behavior, good or bad, and that fully infers that good behavior and, and the bastard will be rewarded, when God says quite the opposite is true and every plant that he didn't plant will be torn up, well, well if you teach that, then you're basically approving the creation of more bastards. You're encouraging the bastardization process to be carried even further. Well, that might have been the very reason why a bastard shall not enter the congregation. Absolutely. And the second opinion I have, and, and I think is important to stress, is that um, once we violate the one-drop rule and compromise on it, that, then we have no more moral standing. We, we lose our moral standing for rejecting the bastards and the people of other races. Well, you know, uh, Religion mixing is just as bad as race mixing, and uh, there's some people that try and try and separate the stranger from the strange god, <laughs> but you can't have strange gods without strangers. And what's overlooked quite often is that that law that said, and I think it's Exodus 23:33 that. They shall not dwell in your land. Period. See, once once they're dwelling in your land, then you got a problem. What do you do with them? But if you keep them out entirely, there's there's no chance of their belief system um, poisoning uh, the one true God that has given to His people. Even, even another another thing I recognized in Hosea when I was doing my presentations the last few weeks is that by trading and, and and communing with the other races, you're respecting their gods, and and that was an explicit statement in Hosea that by trading with the other nations, you're respecting their false gods, which is idolatry. I, I've got another sermon I did years ago that says, "Don't talk to strangers." <laughs> And I remember when I was a little boy, that's what my mom and a lot of white moms told their children was, don't talk to strangers. And um, little did they know that, that, you know, their children would grow up and and understand what a stranger really is. And that, um, you know, I think it, it usually starts in the family that if you don't, teach your children at an early stage um, that they're not to socialize with other races, but to stick with your own kind, then uh, you'll grow up to be um, wise and um, 
following the the ways of the Lord. But it's almost like a uh, a death sentence sending your children to public schools these days. Uh, And and why we have this new term that we call wiggers, (laughs) where they're emulating the stranger and and talking like them. And um, it's just... um, it's a real abomination because it, it's a, a cultural war that has been foisted upon um, our land because, because we allowed them in. And um, it was probably around the turn of the 20th century um, where uh, the Jew was, was primarily leading the charge to open the, the floodgates of um, non-whites into this country and it has um, perpetually gotten worse Um, and I think that's that's part of their plan is to mongrelize the entire world uh, in order to control one homogenized breed that no longer has the spirit of God basically the same thing that happened to Israel when they they went into their captivity. They lost all recognition of their identity and and, um, what their destiny was. Now, it's, well, well, it's interesting that you mentioned the um, the, the Jew being behind the mongrelization of, of the entire world and especially of the white world. It, it's um, I noticed in in your revelation papers and in, in universal I'm sorry in your universalism paper in universalism on trial, I I think it might be in part two, that you um. Have very much the same opinion that I have have had on my programs concerning Obadiah, and, and the book of Obadiah, and and you went so far as to say that Edom is the driving force, behind that the integration of our nations and that all of these other nations who have come into our nations who, who are feeding on God's holy mountain, the, the book of Obadiah clearly tells us that all these people are going to be destroyed by God. And, and um, yeah. that, 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 that there are certain um, so-called Christian identity pastors that are trying to teach. And, and I have another quote and, and, um, this is from a paper, uh, I won't mention the author, but it's called Beasts of the Field Part 5, I believe it is. As the, the blacks will go back to Africa, the orientals will go back to China, the Mexicans will be sent back to Mexico. The Israeli viper state will be wiped off the face of the map. We add, and, and that's from, this pastor quotes Obadiah 118 all the time. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, and we Adamites will keep the lands that Yahweh has given to us, and there will be peace and prosperity everywhere when Adam kind gets restored to the condition intended for our parents, Adam and Eve. That's universalism. That, that is a, a peace and prosperity everywhere is a preaching of peace and prosperity for these blacks, orientals, and, and Mexico who have been destroying our race, and, and they'll be sent back to their homelands and have peace and prosperity. That's universalism. How is that not universalism? Well, this word extermination has been bandied about uh, 
as I think uh, uh, some kind of volatile uh, word that would persuade people what a what a horrible thing. But um, uh, when I read my Bible, I I read about uh, destruction uh, of the heathen, um, an extermination, if you will. And it, it's just it's just not one passage. I mean, it's quite extent uh, throughout both the Old and New Testament. All of the people who have who, who Israel has fornicated with. And that's the law of God, isn't it? That the adulterer as well as the adulteress is, is put to death. But in the case of the children of Israel and, and Israel being the bride of God, the, the adulteress is granted mercy. And universalists want to extend that mercy to the adulterers. And the Bible doesn't do that. I don't find that in Scripture anywhere. It, it's Obadiah one one sixteen, and and you have this in your paper, and and this is God talking to these other nations, and and saying because you drank on my holy mountain. Now his holy mountain is Zion. It is the New Jerusalem. It is the children of Israel, which is our race. All the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. That doesn't sound to me like they're going back to Mexico. And if we teach people that the blacks are going back to Africa and the Mexicans are going back to Mexico, that encourages people to have communion and even children with blacks and Mexicans. That, that's the way I read it. That, that's a, 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 a sneaky way of opening the door to universalism. Well, that's right. And uh, it's like uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Um, I, I don't read about uh, just gathering some of the tares. Uh, when the time of the harvest is ready, it says everything that offends and does iniquity is going to be bundled and, and thrown in a furnace of fire. And, and a bastard would definitely fall into that category, right? Because a bastard is created in violation of God's law. Well, uh, a tear is something that impersonates uh, the wheat. And um, it, it would be the, uh, the alien impersonating a Christian, which um, would probably shock a lot of Judeo-Christians, but I really don't think other races or half-breeds or what have you can be a Christian. By, by the simple fact that they don't have the Spirit of God. So how can they uh, assimilate uh, this um, uh, living word given to a specific people? Uh, they, they just can't, uh, it doesn't connect with them uh, as it does the white race. Only the white race have been the custodians of the, the world and, and carried the good news of the gospel for 2,000 years. I can't think of any other people that have done that. And have produced the fruits of it. Yes. There, there's no fruits in, in universalism. When, when Christ cursed that um, fig tree, that, that was symbolic of uh, those people 
that promote universalism that that can't produce any uh, fruit. And um, uh, it, it withered and died. But there's a prophecy that said it would come back. And it has in the bandit welfare state of Israeli. Well, well, right, and it's right in Matthew 24. When the fig tree shoots forth its branches, you'll know that the harvest is nigh. They're, they're producing uh, all kinds of leaves in Judeo-churchianity, but they're not producing any fruit. And so, uh, again, uh, the tree will die and wither away. Well, well, it has to. Well, well, it has to be cut down at the root so it doesn't come back a third time. <laughs> you know, we're given so many examples, Bill. Um, when I was wondering, why did the mixed multitude uh, come out of Egypt uh, with the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness? Well, it was a type and shadow of things to come, I believe. They did not enter the promised land. No, I think no, that's, in fact, that's why the children of Israel were, were put off for 40 years, so that they wouldn't, so that none of the, the wicked people would enter the promised land. And, and that should tell us that a mixed multitude are agitators to, to, to get us to sin. That's why they weren't to dwell in the land. They would they would cause us to sin against the Lord and that they would be uh, uh, thorns and snares, uh, which which is not a good thing. Uh, well, it's not a good thing at all. And, and we've seen the, the mixed multitudes in, in all of our Western nations, that that's where all the crime is, that's where all the... the, the um, the, the perversions occur and, and the corruption and decadence of our society today is all centered in the large urban areas where there are large amounts of minorities and Jews. So I can only come to the conclusion that if they didn't enter the promised land, they are not going to enter the kingdom of God. No, by no means. By, by no means. The kingdom of God will only be populated with A, um, a deception, which is, I, I, I don't know if it's a deception outright in order to um, corrupt the Christian identity theology, or, or if it's a, a um, you know, a deception created because somebody's afraid uh, of insulting people and, and doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But, right. but in, in either way, it's it's destructive. And, and we can't teach this going forward. We just can't. We can't accept people who teach these things as Christian identists. We just can't because it's a total corruption. Well, I was just thinking of the the movie The Ten Commandments the other day, you know, with Charles Charleston Cheston, and um, uh, it was in, the casting was great because uh, one of the mixed multitude was played by the Jew Edward G. Robinson. And uh, I remember that one scene where he he was uh, agitating Aaron and everybody 
to come on, you guys, let's let's build a golden calf. <laughs> That's the I, same I thing today. I, I think I saw that when I was a child. I, I really don't. I remember Edward G. Robinson in, in one. Of... Well, I, I've seen it several times, but um, I, I saw it within the last couple of years, and I just laughed when I saw that because I I hadn't noticed it before. There's the Jew agitating for the golden calf. <laughs> Well, one of these, um, and, and I hope that you you choose to put this article online or a link to it in in your article online. That this one, your your universalism on trial, part one, and and this resonates with me because it's my personal experience. I I, I have had this experience in my life many times, what which this magazine describes, right? Where it says if, if you are a white person who treats members of all races the same then you are a despicable racist, according to an article in Psychology Today magazine. Their article, Colorblind Ideology is a Form of Racism, makes absurd and incendiary claims to vilify all white people. The article says that only white people who aggressively pander, grovel, and give preferential treatment to non-whites can be free from being called racist. And, and that's absolutely true. That That is absolutely true. The, the Negro and, and the Mexican, and, and I, I've had this experience over and over again, if you treat them, if you try to treat them with any fairness, they see that as weakness, and, mm-hmm. and they expect you to just hand yourself over to them. And if right. you don't, then you're an evil hater. You're a racist, and you're a hater. And the best way to approach the people of the other races is to tell them right up front how you feel about them, and they'll have more respect for you than if you um, if you tried to treat them fairly and then just didn't give up everything that you have to them. Well, God didn't give us a spirit of appeasement um, uh, towards those that are not our equals, if not inferior. Uh, I know there's some people that are bothered uh, by the term white supremacist, but Deuteronomy 7.6 says that he made us above all the races of the earth because we are a holy people. White supremacy is God's supremacy. That's just the way it is. That's our culture and our civilization. We should not be apologetic for having a superior culture and a superior civilization. We should not be apologetic for having all of the world's um, creativity and and engineering skills. And and we've developed all of the technologies, and, and our God has blessed us with those things that these other races, even though some of them can learn them from us, they've never developed these things on their own. They do not have the skill, the talent, or the civilization which the building of these things requires. And they'll never have it. Well, if you look at the so-called Great Commission, um, and within the last uh, 200 years of... um, uh, the good intentions of uh, missionaries going to uh, foreign lands and uh, helping the poor savages. Um, 
inevitably, when those white missions were removed from those countries, the, the primitive cultures reverted back to what they were. In other words, the Christianity just did not stick. Well, well, right, and it never will. It can't. And, and even the uh, – I've seen many foul practices, um, uh, things I wouldn't want to repeat here, amongst the blacks and Mexicans who professed to be Christians, but they weren't Christians at all, perverted savages. The, the, um, the, the Great Commission, as far as I'm concerned, that – you know, in the first few centuries of Christianity – Nobody was trying to evangelize the Arabs. Nobody was trying to evangelize the, the, the dark races of the world. That The apostles, where it says in Matthew, and, and the, um, the article is left out, it says go and preach the, the gospel to all of the nations. And, and that would have been understood in the cultural context of the time to mean all of the tribes of the Greco-Roman world. And it would not have been understood to, to be a commission to be taken beyond the, the, um, the civilized Greco-Roman world. It just wouldn't. That, that's, uh, I realized when I translated the New Testament that in order to understand it properly, the entire Weltanschauung, I like to call it, to borrow a word from Adolf Hitler, that the entire world outlook, your entire world outlook has to change in order to really understand the scripture. And, and you really have to put yourself and, and understand all the words in the context that they were used in the first century, right. in that ancient world, or you can't understand the Bible. And that's, I think, why it pro proliferated is because um, those lost sheep of the house of Israel that heard the good news readily accepted it. They had no problem with it. None whatsoever. The Germanic tribes, I mean, there were different variants of Christianity going around. There, there was the, um, I'm speaking about the, um, what's, the, I'm sorry, the Aryan heresy what was, a, a, you know, actually more popular among the Germanic tribes. But the Goths and, and the, um, the Alans and some of the Scythian tribes were actually Christianized by the 5th century. And, and before, uh, it, it's evident that they were actually Christianized before Rome accepted Christianity. And, and they had no problem accepting it. And, and that's the fulfillment of the scripture because those people were dispersed Israelites that they would return to God through Christ as the prophets said they would. It was definitely a, a fulfilled prophecy and, and part of God's plan. You quoted the um, what? Well, well, you quoted you, you quoted the the edict of toleration, and, and it was actually by Galerius that it was originally issued, and and Galerius had actually just given up on fighting Christianity in the, in the Roman Empire. Because it couldn't be defeated. He admitted that it couldn't be defeated. He, he, I mean, they were persecuting Christians for 300 years almost. And he gave up. And Constantine later of, of made the Christian religion official, uh, officially accepted religion in Rome. But Galerius just gave up 
on on trying to combat Christianity, even after the throwing to the lions uh, of probably uh, the the murder of thousands of martyrs, if not tens of thousands, and, and they just gave up. They couldn't they they couldn't combat Christianity any longer. And if they went through such horrific uh, persecutions, uh, what does that compare to us fighting universalism? You know, we uh, we've got it pretty easy, and and we have no reason not to fight. Uh, this is war, and if we don't fight, then we can look forward to persecution also. Well, we don't have room to make a mistake. On, on the side, on, on any side that would be detrimental to our race. We don't have room to make that mistake. What we don't, this is war. Our race it is being decimated on all fronts, the, the cultural fronts. The, it's under attack every day on their television. It's under attack every day in, in church pulpits and, and in social circles. The white race is being forced to accede to all the beasts of the of the world and, and to hand their daughters over and hand their own backsides over to these beasts and 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 we can't afford to to joke around what with what what we think the kingdom of heaven should look like because somebody doesn't want to hurt somebody else's feelings what well, we don't have a license to do that what well, we can't um dilute the word of god so that we don't insult somebody, that's absolutely ludicrous, and, and that's absolutely shameful. I think it's in Romans that it says we are accounted as sheep being made ready for the slaughter. And well, well, right. We are being assaulted on in, in all fronts, um, uh, spiritually, physically, um, and it, it all are subtle forms of genocide. Uh, they're destroying Christianity, not by religious debates, but by the most underhanded tactics you can imagine. Uh, the Bolshevik Revolution was just pure butchery. But America's is the big prize. And thanks to Providence, we are the most well-armed country in the world. So they can't just start slaughtering white Christians because I think we'd start shooting back, don't you? <laughs> and, uh, but, but people aren't going to do anything about your water being fluoridated or genetically modified organisms in your food. Or any other number of things, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, which is slowly killing people. Not, it's not a gun pointed at your head, but um, I think it's in uh, Revelation 18 that uh, by thy sorceries, uh, which is, as you know, the the Greek word pharmakia, uh, from which we get the word uh, pharmacy or pharmaceuticals, uh, we're being drugged. Uh, and I think Stalin was right. Religion is the opiate of the people, and our people are getting everything except true Christianity. It's killing us. I had a recent experience with one of my own cousins, actually with four of my cousins, and and um, 
I use the the um, the Christmas holiday as the only time that I see them, and I use that as an opportunity to try to talk to them. And, mm-hmm. and usually I find one. So so I go to the family Christmas gathering, and, and there were um, there were four men there, and none of them are my blood. That they're all of their wives are my blood, right? So that's weird, right? <laughs> but, but um. All of their wives are my blood cousins on my father's side, and none of them. That They're my cousin's um, husband, my, my second cousin's husband, and three of – she had four girls, five girls, five girls, I think, and, and three of her son-in-laws. And, and I gave a um, a 30-minute discussion, perhaps, on, on what the Bible is, because I was asked. And, you know, I went into all the various ancient manuscripts and, and why we should read them and why we should um, consider all of them as, as part of our scriptural heritage. Because they're all the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls, because they're all important in, in, under, in, in giving us understanding. And the Masoretic text is not perfect, of course. Well, well after that, they, they asked me about the Jews, and I went into a 30-minute history of the Jewish people and where they came from and, and what that meant in the New Testament context. And, and after 30 minutes, and these four men were all listening pretty intently to me, the, the, um, the oldest, the father-in-law of, of the, um, the, the, the other three, right? And, and he's about my age. And, and he looked at me after 30 minutes of history on the Jewish people. He looked at me and he said, so you don't believe the Jews are God's chosen people? He didn't yeah. absorb. He looked at me. He listened to me. It looked like he was intently listening to me for all 30 minutes, and he didn't get a word. It all just went right through him. And when I said, well, what did I just say for 30 minutes? Of course they're not. He waved his hand at me and walked out of the room. It's called cognitive dissonance. Absolute, there's an absolute and. You're you're competing. Your 30 minutes is competing with 30 years of brainwashing. Absolutely, it's incredible. Uh, we don't realize the uh, the saturation bombardment of propaganda every day, from cradle to grave. And we surely don't need it in Christian identity. And, and to soft soak, what, what I started to say with the Psychology Today article, it, it's been my experience that there's no explaining segregation or separation to a Negro or a Mexican. They don't understand it. They don't like it. As soon as you, you could be, you, you could treat a Negro like the family pet. You, you could feed him. You could give him everything you have. And as soon as you tell that Negro that there's a difference between you and him, and for that reason he can't have your daughter, he will hate you. He will seek to kill you. He, you are a white, racist, KKK hater. It doesn't matter how good you are to these people. If you tell them there is any difference between whites and blacks, they will hate you. And that's been my, my, my life's experience when I was younger. Yet, you know, when I got older, I knew better. I, mm-hmm. I knew that there was no soft peddling the race issue with these people, that you had to tell them right up front, get away from me. Just get away from me. Just go now. Don't go away mad. Just go away. And, and that is how I've handled them the last 20 years. But, but the, the, um, 
you can't explain to them. They don't understand God's law. They don't understand the design and, and the pattern of God's will for his people to be a separate people. That they don't get that, and they'll never get it. And soft-peddling the race issue in Christian identity is not the way to make it more popular. Well, it's like the Old South, where uh, they had the house Negro and the field Negro. Because the house Negro knew his place. And, um, and nowadays, none of them know their place. <laughs> that, that's uh, a, a bygone day. And, well, they and, really think that the Jews have given them a license to walk all over us. They really think that. Well, and uh, uh, they think they're king of the hill with one of their own in the White House, uh, which just uh, exacerbates everything. Uh, clear violation of uh, God's law. But, you know, even more problematic is that white people don't know their place with God. It's a, a twofold problem. Well, well, white people are taught, the way I see it, white people are taught in, in, the, um, in the mainstream churches that the Jews are God's chosen people. They have the covenants and all the special relationships with God. We can't have them, but we're just kind of, we could have a free ride if we're good to the Jews. Well, I was recently watching the uh, re Republican debates with uh, uh, the remaining stooges running for office, and uh, I think it was Gingrich that said that, um, you know, they were talking about the Middle East, and he played the Holocaust card <laughs> because people have been so conditioned to be um, sympathetic where you can almost hear the violins playing at Auschwitz, you know? And, um, and and that's why America should support their allies. Well, it, I hope that's changing somewhat, but by and large, most Americans still think that um, uh, these people that account us as sheep ready for the slaughter are our friends. <laughs> Right, and that has and they, to change. It, it's you know there are so many citations which are popular on the internet, and and um, the the protocols of Zion, of course, where, where it says kill the best, or, or the Talmud where it says kill the best of the goyim. The the Communist Manifesto is online in many places. The protocols are online in many places. People, um, that there are a, a bunch of people waking up, but it. it it's not even the tip of the iceberg. It's not even the head of the match. And we have a long uphill struggle. And when somebody tries to bring universalism and, and Ron Wyatt and Jordan Maxwell and all of these other heresies in, it, it slows us down. It throws that – and you talked about this in your, in your paper on False Brethren – it throws those stumbling blocks before us, and, and we have to stop, and we have to address these issues before we can continue with our progress. It actually it, it halts our progress in, in a trying to wake up our brethren. It's destructive to our cause well, to bring in all these heresies. 
even if it's with good intentions, which I don't think it is, uh, the thinking some people still have is that um, we will someday become a mass movement. Uh, and so uh, in order to do that, uh, they're, they're trying to have this big tent philosophy and to appeal to the masses with a watered-down version of identity. And well, it's never going to work. It, it won't work because... Uh, God doesn't need a, a whole lot of people. He's always worked the miraculous with a, a remnant. Absolutely. Look at and you. not everybody is going to be uh, an overcomer on uh, the day of the Lord. Uh, there will be some people right up to that day that are um, pushing uh tabloid-style stories that they're trying to integrate uh, into Christianity. And and that's just to uh, feed the the itching ears, you know, and and the people that uh, uh, don't have a comprehension of of the deeper things of God that, uh, you know, I mean, we might as well have a a Bigfoot uh, in the Bible somewhere. You know, but it really serves no no. Bible. I thought I saw him in Proverbs. <laughs> but uh, you have to ask yourself, uh, what purpose does this serve? You know, if somebody's pushing some kind of uh, heretical thinking, uh, what kind of fruit is this going to produce? It only causes more confusion, and the disputes over it cause even more confusion. Well, it's incumbent and- upon every identity believer to be critical of anything that uh, doesn't pass the smell test because God gives us that ability to discern the spirit to see whether or not it's of God. And uh, if we don't, then then we're vulnerable to the things that um, that we otherwise should have been watchmen on the wall looking for. Well, well, I honestly read everything critically, which might be why Clifton thinks I'm a good proofreader, right? Uh, I read everything critically. That's my approach. And and I ask people all the time when they read my papers to please read them critically. If I'm screwing up, I want to know that I'm screwing up so that I could correct myself. If I didn't explain something well enough, I want to know so I can try to do better. And that's the way we should read everything is critically. We shouldn't read everything from from that, you know, happy-go-lucky, like we approach a novel for, for entertainment. And, and, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, well, what's, you know, we should check this. The, the substance of everything we read should be examined. Well, that's why I think uh, um, we're near the harvest, if you look at the uh, the mega churches, it's all entertainment. I mean, some of them got like these huge movie screens, and they've got an orchestra pit, and um, and singers and um, uh, Joel Olstein type preachers, you know, making you feel warm and fuzzy. 
and, and, and without the electronics, those ancient bow temples must have come real close to that. <laughs> I believe you're right. Yeah, sure. They must have come real close. I, I could see the the torches all over the place, and 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 the signs and torches and lights and 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 sex and you know, on the couch in the middle of the stage, and everybody in a in a frenzy and and. Oh, it was one big hullabaloo, you know. I'm sure it, it wasn't any little, um, you know, any little tent with, with a couple of, with an altar and a couple of people on their knees. That's for sure. It, it was probably very much like a Joel Osteen production, John Hagee production. Uh, must have been a spectacle. <laughs> it, it had to be a spectacle to attract the people, right? It, it seems to me that it had to be a great entertainment to attract people. Sucked into it. Well, back in Washington State, we protested Benny Hinn. He had one of his conventions, and uh, we had uh, signs and were handing out leaflets. And I remember uh, handing one leaflet to this lady, and she took about ten steps, and she bolted back and and turned to me and he says, don't you know Benny is God's anointed? <laughs> I think he might be God's anointed charlatan, maybe. I think that half of his audience is employees. It's incredible how bad it is. How, um, I don't know, I watched a video of them all falling when he blew up. Well, I've heard... Um, from uh, somebody that went backstage there that they have about 30 wheelchairs that go with them everywhere. And uh, I would not doubt for a moment that he has a crew of actors and actresses that are all part of the shtick. It's a big production number. But again, the people that follow The Anointed uh, have no critical thinking whatsoever. No, and that's the that, that's um. But well, well, I I see evidence of that in Christian identity in in uh, some people, but where they're just not actually thinking and looking at the substance of the doctrine. Instead, they're voting for a personality that 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 they're like a they like a certain person because of his his his. Um, charming and friendly personality, or, or and and that's horrible. I don't want anybody liking me because of my personality. I I, I want people to like me because that they read my my website, and and like the ideas that are expressed in 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 what I have to present. Well, sure, it's it's the principle of um, uh, what our scholars and and teachers and identity teach. Uh, it shouldn't be. Um, the person, you know, it's not the messenger, it's the message. And I tell the people in my chat room that, that frequent the Christoginia chat room all the time that I don't want followers, I want fellow workers. I don't want a follower. I'll kick, a, if somebody told me in my chat room that they were my follower, I'd probably boot them off. <laughs> I want fellow workers, people that are willing to say, yeah, he, he's got the Bible down, and he understands it, and I agree with the message, and I'm going to help him 
spread that message, and I don't want them doing it in my name. Uh, I, you know, that's the way it should be. Well, we're to follow Christ, and uh, if we're to follow any man, it has to be a man that follows Christ, and to be Christ-like, and to have the mind of Christ. Uh, because, it, you know, when you talk about righteousness, it, it's not anything that we have to say that's right or wrong, because God has already determined what righteousness is, and we can only find it in his law. Absolutely. It's nothing that we can say or determine. And well, I, well, right, and that's you know that that idea of being justified or or the the, the end time righteousness and, and the judgment of of men, right? That that is very often people have their own idea of righteousness that they want to apply to that. Well, and I'll tell you, the universalist, um, they play that game pretty well uh, with just a few buzzwords that, that they can um, crush an opponent with. All they have to say is, you're a racist, or you're a bigot, or you're an anti-Semite. Um, but there's, if they're willing to listen for 30 minutes, maybe, <laughs> uh, we can explain to them that, that Jews aren't Semites, you know, that, that God created the races. Uh, the, this Answers in Genesis has such an insidious theology that all races emanated from Adam and Eve. And they have the audacity to talk about their creation museum and Genesis when God created kind after kind to say that Adam was a medium a medium brown color that had all the uh, DNA um, genes that would come out later. Well, that's a fast-track evolution. That is fast-track evolution, and we would still have those genes in us today. You know, you would go to bed with your wife, who's white, and and have a little brown baby. It, it would we we would still have those genes in us. It's it's a ridiculous, um, cartoon-like view of creation of God. Well, yeah, it, it not only does that, but it belittles God. I mean, we're we're talking about the great I am that created the the heavens and the earth. Uh, is it such a small thing that he created the species? Well, well, God's the author of race. That's what Paul's really saying in Acts chapter 17. And, and therefore, there should there should be uh, uh, no feelings of guilt because of uh, race as it pertains to kind after kind. You know, call me a, a kindest that's the same thing as a racist. Well, well, I don't mind being called a racist. I, I don't get scared off by those buzzwords. I don't mind being called an exterminationist. I wear it as a badge of honor. I'm German. You want to call me an exterminationist? Fine. You want to call me a vicious murderer? Fine. The Jews have been saying things like that about the Germans for 7,000 years. I know, but... So to me, you're just showing your fruits. 
but to the uh, the uninitiated, uh, uh, their their knees start knocking uh, as soon as they're called a name. You know what I mean? Right. And and that might be a way to separate. Yeah, you know, another thing that Yahweh hates is effeminate and cowardly men. Well, we're told uh, effeminate and cowardly men couldn't go to war, couldn't go to battle. Don't send them into battle. Don't, I mentioned don't. that uh, Tim Tebow in the beginning, the NFL player. And if you've ever heard him, I couldn't believe how effeminate sounding he was. And I, I kind of bet you dollars to donuts that he might come out of the closet in the next year or so. You know what I mean? <laughs> Terrible. Well, well, that would explain why he's being promoted, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, sure. Because they'll show how pious and godly he is to everybody. And then they'll reveal that he's a fag. Right. And then everybody has to accept fags because they love Tim Tebow. I wouldn't doubt it. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> the Jews pull that. that. That's another Canaanite bait-and-switch tactic, right? There you go, yeah. It, it's incredible what they do. They, it, It's the same patterns they use all, all, all the time. It, it's They keep trick on us over and over again. But we shouldn't fear these people. The only thing we should fear is God. Absolutely. Uh, and it's God-fearing men that um, are able to be God's battle axe. And um, and He said that um, we would be His weapons of war. But we can't do that if if we fear for fear of the Jews or blacks or Mexicans or anybody else that gives us that scowl or that look on their face, you know? But when they give you that scowl, you smile. Just <laughs> just smile right at them. I, I've had that scowl and done that. And it, 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 they go away. They go away. Well, I've... I've had this um, fantasy of that if um, you know you pull alongside a car, car pulls alongside of you, and they they've got these giant speakers that's rap music and all that, and and they pretend like uh, nothing's happening. I'd like to have uh, big speakers that would play back blaring bagpipes because I know they hate that. <laughs> I think that'd be funny. Well, well, the thing is that normal people wouldn't spend that kind of money on that garbage, right? Ever have the speakers when we need them? Our speakers. It's um, it, it's it's sad how easily our our culture can be uh, bended and uh, and warped. Um, uh, we should only have one one potter that and we should be pliable clay in his hands to uh, make us in his image um, but um there there's others out there that that want to play god well well that's exactly what they're doing they're trying to mold god in their image and and it should be the other way around we should seek to god's image 
Well, here's an eye-opener for some people who think the Jews uh, uh, believe the same God we do. Well, they don't. They, they're not even expecting another Messiah. In, in reality, the Talmud, the Messiah of the Talmud is the Jewish people themselves. Right. Now, if more people were aware that Judaism is self-worship, that uh, secularly it is secular humanism, uh, there's not much difference between that and uh, Talmudism other than perhaps a, a Hasidic uh, look with um, uh, beard and, and black clothes and and whatnot. <laughs> well, well, it's not. It's worse than that. Not only are the Jewish people their own Messiah, but their kingdom of heaven is ushered in when they are ruling the world, and Marxist Bolshevism is the political system everywhere and we are their slaves that's the kingdom of heaven to the jew and their their utopia is for every jew to have 2000 goyim as their slaves right, right. and and sex slaves and all kinds of perversions are are um, sodom and, it's worldwide sodom and gomorrah right with, with the jew in control that's their utopia right that's the kingdom of heaven well, everything about um, the Talmud is a circumvention of Mosaic law. Yes. They, um, they, they say that they, there was uh, additional laws uh, given to Moses, but they were oral, the oral traditions. This is what Christ denounced uh, uh, amongst the, uh, the, uh, the elders that they were uh, making up their own laws and, well, well, and right. saying that it, it was uh, ancient Hebrewism. I, I and, believe it's also the basis for, for case law as we know it. In oh, yeah. And, and that's what the Talmud is, is it, it's an always ever-expanding uh case law of rabbinic decisions and modifications, whichever suits them in whatever era. And, and they're all engineered to get around God's law. It's a circumvention, yes. It, it's incredible. And, and when, when I, I, I read pieces of the, um, the Mishnah in, in prison, parts of the Talmud in prison and the commentaries on the law, and I thought, this is what I just went through. This is it. This is the case law that was presented in my case, and this is what I just went through. And I understood it. And I had read the Bible first, of course, and I understood it immediately to be simply a, a series of convoluted arguments that, that excuse the Jew from following God's law, because these arguments show all different ways that you could get around it. And it's it's American case law that's engineered to get around the Constitution and, and the common law rights of man. It, it's the same thing all over again. It's just a, another um, manifestation of it. Yeah, case law could fill a warehouse. I think God's law is about 300 statutes. <laughs> well, well, right, and, and it's really only 11. It's really only Ten Commandments and love thy brother. Because if you obey those Ten Commandments and love your brother, it's really hard to break those 300 statutes, right? 
Right. That's a synthesis. Uh, I think the two great commandments, and people don't read the rest of it, it says, where, uh, whereas hinges or hangs the rest of the law or the all of the law. It's just a, a synopsis. Well, well, I'd like to read you um, Obadiah 115 you have here, and this is probably part one of Universalism on Trial, if you don't mind. Sure. And um, you wrote that we read Obadiah 115 as evidence of a prophetic extermination that will not only target Esau, Edom, but all the heathen or all the nations as well. Let's read these verses with such with an explanatory commentary as we go through it. For the day of Yahweh is near upon all the heathen, the day of, and you say that the day of, of the Lord is already known from Joel 115 to 1 to 31 as a terrible day of destruction and trembling for the anti-Christian outrages against God's covenant people. Obadiah is rendering Edom as the flagship and symbol of mongrelization. And, and that's, you know, I see... The Jews and, and everybody who was created outside of Yahweh's will collectively as Satan. And in Revelation chapter 20, we're told that Satan gathers all the nations to war against the children of Israel. And that's exactly the same thing in different language. Mm-hmm. That Edom is the flagship and symbol of mongrelization. Well, which necessitates a universal God or gods in defiance to the one true God. And they've set up their own God of universalism in order to allow all those nations to be amassed against the children of Israel. And they're here now. And that's, you know, that's the, the message of so many other prophecies, the beasts of Jeremiah 31, that, that, that Yahweh would sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with. And, and that's, it's our sin that has precipitated this, but our sin is in worshiping the idols of Judaism and accepting the idols of Judaism and this false world religion that they've set up. And that's the way I see that. And that's what's going on. And we cannot accept that. What we we have to we who are awake, uh, our commission is to pull as many of our brethren out of Babylon as possible. Because when it falls, our people will suffer its punishments if they're still tied up with these beasts. And and that's the only sensible approach to the race issue, is to get our people away from mongrelization, away from the other races, and not to ever accept them. And and that's our, our war, as Clifton described it. They shall become as if they had never existed. Right, exactly. What part of that don't people understand? And and you don't want to be caught up with them when that day comes, or or you're going to suffer in those punishments with them. Well, that's where we want to wear the righteousness of Christ. Absolutely. Well, well, okay, it's it's 9.30 if if you're... um, if you have anything else to say, we can continue. Uh, otherwise, we we can. Um... Well, time flies when you're having fun. I, I knew it would be a, a pleasurable conversation with you, Bill, and I enjoyed it very much. Well, well, thank you for being here and and helping me address this. You've been a source of um 
great encouragement and support, and and um, I, I'm I I can't see any deviation in in the path that we have to take, and it's the same path that I, I've taken. If um, yeah, you know, if certain people before I came out of out of prison had actually read my papers, they would know how I felt about these things. Because all of the papers that Clifton published of mine express all these things, and maybe that they would have shied away from me rather than trying to embrace me. And and the way I see it, maybe that embracing was actually to try to pull me off course. And and I'm not going to allow to be off course. I think there's a proverb that says, "With all thy getting, get understanding." Right. We only have one course, and and it has to be in Christ, a hundred percent. And and that means a rejection of the world and a rejection of all these monks. Well, I'd just say one last thing is for our people to to pray for a guilty verdict on universalism. And uh, may it come sooner than later, <laughs> hopefully in our generation. Well, well, thank you, Mark. And if you have any way that we could help with your um, your battle against answers in Genesis that we could publish or anything like that, let us know. And I'm I'm gonna I gave your website in the chat before. It's kinsmanredeemer.com and and um, fgcp.org, and and they're on the links page at Christagenia. Right. We appreciate all you do, Bill. Thank you. Okay, thank you for being here and, and praise Christ, praise Yahweh, and and um, I'll look forward to speaking with you again. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening, everybody. I will be here um, on Friday on Christogenia on Talk Show with the First Epistle of Peter. Praise Yahweh.